Welcome to the podcast of The Urban Mystic. This is season two where we meet with fellow deconstructors, fellow journeymen and journeywomen to hear the story of their first experience of God, calling to ministry, deconstruction and present journey. Yeah. Now, now, now for many, many people, one of the one of the quick responses that everyone has is we only know how to do church in this way. This is the way to do it. <laughs> and and people aren't successfully creating alternatives. So everyone that's deconstructing, no one is being successful. Now obviously obviously that is not true, right? But but going beyond that, um for people that struggle to see an alternative to the institutional church how how would you describe that in ways that they can understand what what does this thing called church or ecclesia look like apart from the institutional church for you well that's where it gets interesting because i you know when i left the institutional church there was a lot of wandering in the desert for years then i found um a non-institutional church community basically in my backyard i mean they were just a few minutes down the road and they'd been meeting for years by the time I found them. And for, and I actually referenced them in my book because, uh, you know, we were fellowshipping with them when I was finishing up the book. And, um, you know, in terms of the people, I have nothing but good things to say. These are, these are all, uh, precious saints. I'm still friends with many of them. Um, it's great. As far as the group dynamic, and I didn't know this at the time that I wrote the book, but I don't think I realized how institutionalized we really are. And so you have a lot of people that are quote unquote doing, you know, organic church or, or house church or simple church or whatever. And I don't want to burst anybody's bubble. If, if you're doing that and you are loving that and that's where the Lord has called you and placed you, please do not let anything that I say pull you out of your orbit. There's, there's nothing you need to rethink um, based on anything that I'm going to say. Um, however, I was, I was kind of jokingly talking with a friend of mine saying, you know, my first book was about how institutional um, the traditional church model is, I think my next book should be about how institutionalized all these organic church folks are. Because what I've witnessed, and I'm, I'm speaking in broad strokes here, but, but the pattern seems to be uh, a lot of recreating so much of, of the institutional church without realizing it. Now, I fully agree. Like, like, and Steve and I have spoken about this about how um, we create these alternatives. And of course, the Protestant Church classically thinks we're not the Orthodox Church, we're not the Catholic Church. And within the Protestant stream, there's one church that goes, "Oh, but we're not like the others at all." And if you if you dig through what what they're actually, if you if you focus on what they're doing, there's vast differences of expression. But if you dig down to the underlying paradigm, it's the same thing. That that people are creating an institution, and and that paradigm is actually the same. The expression thereof is different. It's very, and in many cases, innovatively different. But at the foundation, they're still repeating that same thing of creating a church in that sense, and of going to church, um, and of doing church. And and this won't. 
this won't fully communicate what I'm trying to communicate because this is just, this might feel a little abstract because it's just one example. But let me give you a concrete example. So we were having these um, gatherings and there was one family that had a house that they were renovating and it needed a lot of work, but they, but it was a really big space. And the whole reason they got this house was so that the community could gather in this house. So it was a great space and it got to feel kind of like a second home to everybody, you know, um, you could walk in and just, you know, open up a cabinet and grab a glass and walk to the fridge and nobody's going to say anything. You know, you know how it is like when you go to your aunt's house and you just kind of make yourself at home. Well, my, my, my aunts, I'm sure, would have beaten us if we did that. But I do understand that this family's <laughs> where, where it's part of the extended home. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, might be, I might be assuming a lot with that statement. But imagine a family like that, okay? <laughs> okay. And so the whole place kind of had that vibe. And one of the things that we did very often is we would have a meal and then the quote unquote meeting. And I cannot tell you how many times we were having the meal and I'm looking around the room and people are laughing and having these great conversations. And if you walk around from, from one, cause they had multiple tables set up. If you walk around from table to table, You'll hear people talking about the Lord. You'll hear people encouraging each other. I would submit, if you so desired, if you wanted to get out 1 Corinthians 14.26 and turn it into a checklist, you could walk around the room and hear people praising the Lord. And you could hear people sharing revelations. And you could hear words of instruction. And, and you know, everything was happening very naturally because I would submit when you have a bunch of believers just together, if they're really excited about Jesus, Jesus is going to be the center of everything. We, I, I think, I think a lot of the reason we have to try to make him the center of everything is honestly, we're just not deep enough with him personally. Like, like we're, we're making up a, a deficiency in ourselves by having to program Jesus. I, I love the way you phrase that. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. So I would, I would walk around the room and see all this incredible stuff happening, but sure enough, it would reach a certain time. And usually it was the same person, but it, if she didn't speak up, somebody else would, I'm sure, who would finally just kind of cut through everything and say, hey guys, I hate to be that person, but if we don't get started, we're not going to be done in time to pick up the kids because they always had the kids at a separate location, which is another conversation you don't even want to have with me because I, I thought that was terrible. But anyway, we'll set that aside. And the moment she she said, you know, we have to stop this so we can start, all the life drained out of the room. And the thing is, I'm going, why is this thing that we're about to do, which is basically sit around and awkwardly look at each other and try to share Jesus-y stuff, why is that more valid and, and more, quote unquote, church than what we were just doing, which had so much life of the Lord all over it? Mm. And, and one step further, in, in a sense, and I, I think that's, that's really where you're going with it anyway. Why is this life-killing thing, supposedly the life-giving thing, when, when for all intents and purposes, it doesn't check any of those boxes in that sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so I've reached a point. 
and I don't want to say that this is my blanket answer, that this is what I prescribe to anyone who asks me, but <clears throat> I'm, I'm definitely, I'm definitely inclined this way. It probably is where I would lean toward in any conversation. When people come to me and say, Hey, I read your book. How do I find that type of community you're talking about? I'm kind of at the point now where I just say, you know what? You just need to be in the desert for about 10 years before you ask that question. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Deconstruct. Totally. Yeah. I'm not teasing. Uh, like, like, because people are, are in such a hurry to get from the institutional church to whatever you call it, organic church, simple church, house church, whatever. Ecclesia, that's a big one. People love to say ecclesia. And in fact, I, I contrast it to you. I, I, I use institutional church and ecclesia as my two contrasts. Yeah, and so, because we do need, we need some sort of language to differentiate. So I get that. But there's this uh, romanticized idea that is coming from a person that is only known institutional church. It's kind of like, I look at it like when the Israelites were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, dreaming about what freedom would be like and, and crying out to the Lord, Oh, set us free, set us free, set us free. And finally he does. And immediately they start kind of griping about it. Like, man, I mean, I know we're free and all, but, when I was a slave, I didn't have the sun beating down on my head because I could go inside. I know we're free and all, but man, it was sure nice having a couple of you know meals a day guaranteed. Man, I know we're free and all, but man, it was so nice not having to figure out what we had to do. People would just tell us what to do, and we didn't have to overthink everything. You probably find like that that when people want to try to do the alternative, they fall back into those exact same patterns. So that it's it's not just that trans it's not just that transition point, you're having a meal, everything's vibrant, people are connecting, and then someone goes, right, let's start. And you know, there's a drop in the energy and you know, suddenly we're back to the age old dynamics. But so so there's often that dynamic in, in almost every group that I've seen want to do something alternative. But the second thing is 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 almost you go from much smaller groups that have got a lot of vibrancy and a lot of interaction between them to the minute you start increasing those numbers a little. And for some groups the number might be as little as five and for others when you start hitting the twelve or whatever it is, it quickly falls into that that transition where Whoever's place it's taking, at, whoever's place it's taking place at, or whoever is understood to be the organizer, organizer, the default falls to them. To what are we doing today? What's in the agenda today? And and it loses that vibrancy, and suddenly, and very subtly, it just becomes a program thing. You know, like 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 someone has got to drive this, or someone's got to speed it along, as opposed to the organic uh, flow is actually the this this thing in action. Yeah, we experienced that actually. Yeah, and and how did you how, how did you transition through that? I mean, y y yes, the time thing is very important. <laughs> I think a lot of people just needed to give it more time, you know. And it's easier to identify that with the people who are processing pain and brokenness. So, although we've we've sort of almost set aside, you know, the fact that there is the person that's that's broken or hurt or unhappy that has left. And there are those. It's easy to identify them and say, give them time. They they need to go through that that healing process first or that unburdening process or whatever it is. But for people that feel like they're ready and they didn't come from that 
often they want to get back into this kind of thing. And they're looking vision-wise to go, yes, we want this alternative. And yet when they try to do it, they very quickly fall back into those patterns. So how, how, do, how are you managing to, um, and how are you finding people managing to get past that without falling back into it? If, if I'm understanding your question correctly, um, here, let me, I, I don't know if this exactly answers it, but here's an observation. Because of the book, because you got to remember like how many different types of media I've done. I've written a book. I've done a uh, series of animated explainer videos on YouTube. We did a podcast for a year. There's over 50 episodes of that. Uh, an online comic book. There's a TED Talk. So really, if you look on any one platform, you're seeing a, another segment of a larger audience. So I get emails all the time. And the number one question is, how do I find a church community like what you've described in your book? Nobody ever asks, how do I start a church community like the one described in your book? And I've noticed I push back when they say, how do I find this? If I say, well, why don't you start it? Then comes a ton of reasons that sound good, like oh, I, I you know I I don't have the experience, or I would probably need to uh, you know take part in a group for a while so that I really know what it looks like. It sounds great, but I would challenge that and say at the end of the day, you're defaulting to that old habit of you know because because what you just came from, the institutional church is a consumer centric model where nothing is really required of you. And you're saying, I really want this experience of community, but the moment I suggest, well, will you work to, to create it? Well, no, 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 I don't wanna do that. Wouldn't it be worth examining your motives there? I'm not gonna make a blanket statement and say everyone who says that has the same motive because that's pretty judgmental. But I'm saying, shouldn't you examine your motives because it's very potential that you're doing the same thing that you did. What you're really hoping for is that there's already an existing community where everybody's already carrying the load and you can step into the room and sit down and listen and observe and ease into, you know, however much you want to ease into just the way we did in the institutional church, because it's a consumer centric model where it's, you know, you're, you're just a passive audience member. Well, I think I think I'm I'm 100% with you there because because that is largely the case. I I think of the of the dozens of people that I've known that have that have been part of like reboots and startups in one way or another, and the majority of people are that that are there that they'll come for a session or two or they'll they'll be there in part and they they're there in the idea until they get going, and then it's almost like that they'll go away and if there was something working and they came back in a year time then they would join and they would become a member again right and again all that language is is we're in exactly the same place and i think for for for, for many people to stay in that space of of we are becoming something together and we're all a part of it and we're all committed to this new way of of living this reality as opposed to trying to do church or create church many people you know taking the judgmentalism out of it many people they don't bracket themselves in that kind of startup framework or 
you know, and and even that in itself is language that I think is is difficult because because the idea is always for those startup people to be creating the model for others to come and consume and be consumers at. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's that's one thing that I would submit is, you know, how how much are you willing to invest? How much of the load are you willing to carry? I think that's probably a big part of it. Uh, cause I see way more interest in, um, participating in an existing group than, than starting one. Uh, however, with that said, I'm, I'm going to just kind of set that aside. Cause I think I've said enough about that in terms of groups that I've seen, um, that have, I, I don't know what, what you would call it. it, it um, started as a group of interested friends and then kind of naturally grew into a community. I was not there for the process, but I've been part of enough groups that have the same origin or connected to enough groups that have the same origin that one thing I would say is probably worth investigating is starting a, a kind of a book study. Because that seems to be, and I don't want to make it sound formulaic, this is not a magic bullet, so if you try this and it doesn't work, don't worry. But it seems that a lot of communities that I've been connected to started off with saying, hey, I'm reading these books. I'm reading books like Unchurching or Church Refugees or Pagan Christianity or any number of books can kind of get you started on this trajectory. Uh, so you don't want to go to church anymore by Wayne Jacobson. So I'm I'm reading these books and it's really kind of speaking to me. And I would like to get some friends together who might be kind of wrestling with the same thoughts or at least open to it. And I think probably the smart thing to do is to not make it about one book, but say this is going to be an ongoing study where we go through two or three or four or five or six or seven or however many books. Because, at least from what I've heard, if you give it enough time, what will happen is the people who are curious, sure, they might show up and, and go through a book with you. But when they hear, now let's read another one, they're going to go, all right, that's about enough of that. <laughs> and, and they're going to bail. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. I think what's what's nice about that is is many of those 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 books cover a number of those different paradigms on that spider's web, and so in some ways you're enabling people to constructively have conversations about those discrete paradigms, and then like 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 with with film as a media, you know, um, the transition from showing someone a photo to a series of slides to movies is literally just adding one frame per second. But then at some point, the medium actually changes. And I think paradigmatically, it's it's often the same thing for people. You know, if you can have those constructive conversations and get through those those discrete paradigms, at some point, uh, you know, you just end up with something new. Yes, absolutely. And what's great is if if it's kind of a protracted study that goes on for a while, not only is there the potential for some of the original folks who were just merely curious to drop out, but for other folks who hear about you secondhand who are going, Oh man, I've been looking for a group like this to, to be able to kind of jump on the train early. And, you know, as far as when you make the transition, that just really needs to be the Lord's leading. Um, and 
honestly, if you can't sense that, then, you know, I don't know how the group's going to function because... <laughs> if, if you can't sense that, you've got to raise, you've got to ask one or two serious questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because where you're trying to get to is, you know, we're eventually going to get to a point where there's not a quote unquote leader and we're going to listen for the voice of the Lord together. And I think it's so much less intimidating to kind of do that as an exercise while you're reading a book rather than like, okay, well, we said we're an organic church or a simple church or whatever. So uh, let's uh, sit around the room and stare awkwardly at each other and see if God says anything. And it's like, that, that's a lot of pressure, I think. And, and, I've, and I've done things that were pretty close to that and they don't work. <laughs> no, no, I was going to just pick up on a point that you kind of sort of leaned towards. I'm interested in your thoughts on kind of the social dynamic or the social structure of, of these sort of alternatives um, you know, you, you talked a little earlier about this, that one person who says, okay, we're going to stop doing the thing that is really enjoyable and life-giving, and we're going to go and do the institutional thing that just sucks the life out of everybody. And that's because there is, you know, as you've said before, there's this assumed structure already in terms of there's got to be some sort of pastor or minister or leader or elders or some sort of structure there. And then you spoke as well about just the variety of media that you've put out. And I wondered whether you were leaning towards uh, talking about how people respond to you in spaces like that. And is there sort of a natural difference to, okay, well, you know, Richard would obviously speak first or tell us how this thing runs. How have you, how have you engaged with those sort of preconceived societal structure concepts within people and uh, either helping them or seeing them free themselves up from this idea of this, overly structured meeting with somebody in charge and somebody tells you what to do because for me that's very much part of the consumerist mindset is that helps you to be continually molded into just sitting passively is somebody is always organizing this and running it and that doesn't have to be you does that make sense and i'm just interested in your thoughts on that um well one thing i can easily address a lot of the stuff that i've done like the book I was already part of this community before I published the book. So I don't, so hardly anybody in the community <laughs> read it. That's always tremendously validating. No, it's like, <laughs> okay. That must have yeah, been a bit like a prophet in his hometown, right? Like, like, like uh, seriously, <laughs> like, like there weren't that many people in the group who read it. And um, the ones who did and really responded to it, most of them, because the, that group is no longer together. That group eventually um, kind of dissolved. And it wasn't it wasn't dramatic. It wasn't like, uh, oh, there's been a big um, scandal or, or a big fight. Or it, I, I kind of feel like it was the Lord because it, you know, it was one thing after another. It's like, well, well, this person is, you know, uh, you know, grew up in another country and she wants to move back home and be with her family. This person has a ministry opportunity, but it's across the country. This person has a job opportunity, but it's across the country. Like, um, you know, so there wasn't, there wasn't like, uh, you know, this decisive moment where we went, we're going to disband this group, uh, you know, and, and honestly, I kind of felt even before all that happened that the Lord told me, oh, this group is about to be scattered. And, uh, you know, I don't necessarily take it as like, oh, it was like judgment or, I just think it was time because one of, one of the things that we also, um, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, but one of the things that we have carried over from the institutional church is the assumption 
that we're supposed to create communities that exist in perpetuity in in the form uh, like like whatever form they have when they're created they're supposed to look like that you know 20 years from now and yeah and here's where i would challenge that is because uh, because institutional church i've had people in the institutional church really criticize um organic churches house churches whatever and and with a little bit of snobbery because it's like well you know, the average lifespan of a house church is about six years. And and it, it's well, like... <laughs> well, I, I usually just encourage people to read a bit further in Acts to when, when they're all scattered and just go where they still the church. Uh, and and clearly it looks like it looks like Jesus is involved in that, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm just reading between the lines, but just remind me, is this not his church? Is he not scattering them? It, well, yeah. And and also you, you have to kind of say, well, wait a second. Because again, you people will make statements, but there's assumptions that undergird those statements, and you have to dig down and address that, or the paradigm never changes. It's like, well, wait a minute. Why are you assuming that that's what a quote-unquote church is supposed to do? And I would even submit your institutional church is not that. What you have is you have you're a group of people who are in the same building that was erected 30 years ago and it has the same name and the same logo. But if I go and pull out a directory from 30 years ago, how many of these are the same people? So what you have, when you have a larger group, you don't notice the churn. You have people constantly coming in the front door and slipping out the back door. Very, very much a lot of, a lot of churches grow from having a slightly tighter back door than front door so that it's easier for people to get in and then they, they, they got a queue to leave. <laughs> so they stay for a season <laughs> longer perhaps. But, but, but yeah, I think, I think, I think that ac- actually hits the nail on the head completely is, is the Ecclesia or, or the church as a relational community differs to the name of the building that endures and, and the, and the people are, are incidental, you know, and we're talking smaller groups. So if you're in a big church, a big institutional church, and you know, four families decide they're all leaving the you know two Sundays from now because nothing dramatic, but they just have opportunities like to go you know, live with family or get married or pursue a job or whatever. And they feel like it's the Lord's leading, and it's like, hey, we're all leaving. It's like, oh wow, that's going to be a loss. But four families in an institutional church of any you know appreciable size, that's not going to make a dent. If you're in a house church. And four of your families say, hey, we feel called to leave. You may be the only other family. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I guess I guess we're at the end now. And that's, you know, and that's how that works. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. Uh, or, or I would submit, um, why is there anything wrong with that? Like, like why, is that, uh, why is that really any different except for, for a matter of scale? Why is that any different than what's happening in, in the institutional church every day? But because the institutional church has a building, a logo, uh, uh, because it has an identity separate from its people, it seems more stable and it exists in perpetuity, even though the people are constantly churning. I love the fact that you you reference that because you know there's 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 a lot of uh, you know there's a lot more recognition of the of the of generational theory and the changes and that. And and certainly we live in a world where a lot of younger people, the opportunities are elsewhere in the world. They're either moving cities or they're moving countries. And not just once, 
um, consecutively. You know, they th that is actually the space that they're in. You know, there isn't there isn't always that sense of of, of permanence. But but I guess the other thing is is I I don't know if you read that Barner report recently. Um, of uh, of the number of people during this pandemic crisis, and and I, 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 it's not something I want to dive into because I know it's it's politicized in the American context, and a lot of people go into one conspiracy theorist theory or another. So so that's not really where I want to go. But just to look at the fact that that for 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 many people, um, the trend seems to be that that through this crisis, a third of the people that do go to churches are not coming back. And that's what they're reflecting. A third are likely to stay with the church that they that they were and are happy to do that online for now. And that's likely to change behavior because the question is, you know, to what extent are they going to be physically traveling to go to church and to what degree are they going to just keep doing online church? And then for that middle third, it seems like that middle third are happy to shop around and look at opportunities. And, and I think, um, you know, and with that, they reckon about about 50% of those indicate that they're going to stay with the original churches. So in that sense, as we're looking at the biggest significant change to church membership at the moment, looks to be that coming through this um, COVID-19 crisis, global crisis, that about 50% of the churches are, are losing, you know, churches are losing 50% of their members, which which is going to continue to drive the thing of the big successful churches are built on the pipeline of unsuccessful small churches. You know, they can't continue operating, so they're going to, people are then going to go to other churches, which are then going to be more successful, and that's, that's a trend. But out of the 50% that don't go, you know, there's, there's a lot of room to encourage people to go the alternative to doing church is not doing church in a different way. The alternative to doing church is fundamentally changing this relationship with God and fundamentally transitioning from the reliance on that institution to actually cultivate your own individual spirituality and or mysticism, you know, whichever language people are most comfortable using. And so and so in some ways, you know, with with groups like the ones that you've been a part of, how have you seen people's relationships change for the positive in terms of their relationship with God post-institutional church? And and I would add with each other, with God and with each other, I'd be interested human to human, human to divine. Oh, yeah. Like, I don't know if you remember, but earlier when I was talking about some of the whatever dysfunction we may have had in this community that I'm referencing, I preface that by talking about the, uh, you know, I have nothing critical to say about the individuals in the community because a matter of fact, that was the thing that baffled me is when I would go to people's houses or get together with people for lunch, um, all of these saints had these deep, deep relationships with the Lord uh, this incredible wisdom and insight when it comes to the word, um, just a real passion uh, that only comes when somebody has a living relationship with Christ, where he's not theory, he's not doctrine, he's not a historical figure, but he's an, you know, an active part of their life. And that's what blew me away is because, um, you know, I'd have these incredible interactions. And when we would get together in smaller groups, like go out for breakfast, it's like, oh, a few of the guys are going to get together and go for breakfast. Those were phenomenal. It's only when we got together in the larger setting. And I think it's because 
it, there was this weird unspoken expectation of like trying to do it quote unquote right um, instead of just doing what we do naturally. However, with that being said, the um, the amount of spiritual growth that you were seeing from people, just their relationships outside those meetings was producing so much spiritual growth. It was fantastic. So that part of it, a matter of fact, I would even submit, that's why a lot of people just endured those terrible meetings was because in spite of the fact that, and they would even tell visitors because visitors like, oh, we want to come and see how you do church. And what they meant was we want to see a meeting. And we would tell them, you're going to hate the meeting. All the real life happens in between the meetings. And that part was true. And it, if we had only learned that there doesn't need to be this differentiation, it's like, hey, you know that stuff we do in between meetings? Let's just do that all the time, just with more people. And let's quit calling it a meeting. Because apparently that right there is like the death knell. <laughs> and let's never say it's time to start. And then we'll be fine. And I say that half jokingly, but I really do mean that. If, if we had just, you know, kept doing what we were naturally doing, and that's, that's the key, you know, the whole, I, the whole thing about deconstruction is like trying to just get rid of all these man-made constraints, uh, uh, you know, all, all this baggage that we've picked up. And it's so much easier to say than it is to do. Um, I will say one thing, I know I'm, I'm, I'm answering a question you didn't ask, but you referenced the, um, the pandemic. And I don't think even, even the people whose business it is to predict how these things are going to go, I think what we're dealing with is so unprecedented. I think that I think the impact is going to be even more significant than, than they think it is, and that they predict it is. Um, matter of fact, the moment they started talking about coronavirus coming to the US, um, I actually, you know, started engaging other believers saying, wow, this could fundamentally change church forever. And, you know, this was like early March. And I got laughed at. <laughs> because, yeah, because the, the initial um, communication here, this is not, this is not political. This is, this is, um, this is just what, what was being said. Uh, the the initial instructions we were all given here was everybody needs to shelter in place for a couple weeks because we're going to try to flatten this curve. So everybody headed into their homes, you know, with with the at least at least what we were being told is we're probably going to have to do this for a couple weeks. And some people apparently went, okay, <laughs> I can do this for a couple weeks. And I was going, it's not going to be a couple weeks. You guys obviously have like don't know about the black plague. Like, like that's not how that, that's not how this works. And so, you know, a couple of weeks became a month, and you know, a month became a couple of months. And as it dragged on, some of the stuff that I was saying early on, more and more people started to kind of pick up and go, "Hey," because because it started with a lot of believers saying, "Oh, I can't wait to get back to church. I can't wait till things get back to normal." And I kind of felt like Chicken Little running around going, no, oh, this guy's falling because I was going, it's never going to be normal. And they were saying, saying, and I'm sure people went, yeah, that just fits your narrative that you had before this anyway. Well, that's it. it is, yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, well, you're the guy running, running churching. You've been waiting for this. Um, and, and it's like, no, no, no. 
here's like, like, think about it, guys. All you have to do is think about it. From what we know, and it's okay if any of your listeners don't believe any of what I'm about to say uh, because of, you know, running through a political filter, or they just have different information they trust. But this is the way I understand it. From what we know, this virus um, especially affects the elderly and people with underlying health issues, but I'm going to focus on the elderly. In America, at least, most of our institutional churches, like over 40-something percent, have 100 or less members. So you have a great number of, of churches out there that are not large, um, and a, a large percentage of that percentage is actually much, much smaller than that. And um, ever since millennials got old enough to opt out of church, they have been in droves, which is another thing I tried to tell all my baby boomer friends 20 years ago that th this is going to happen because they were teenagers at the time. And I told them, I said, when this group of teenagers gets old enough to leave, they're not coming back. And I got a lot of pats on the head and a lot of, well, you'll see, we've been around, we know how this works. Everybody leaves the church when they go off to college, but as soon as they have kids, they'll be back. And I was like, not, not this group. I'm telling you now. I'm calling it now. They're not coming back. And sure enough, they're not. So when you think about generationally, we've got all the young people leaving. It's the older people that have been keeping the doors open. And I'm talking financially. And just looking at like my dad, you know, he and, and my stepmom, the economy took a huge downturn as soon as all this stuff started and they started closing businesses. And so the demographic that is most responsible for keeping the doors open on the institutional church can't attend for health reasons and doesn't have the money to, to keep it going. And I don't think we've seen the full effects of that yet because, you know, you've had, we've got some things over here. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have something similar where they started up these funds like churches helping churches and, you know, they, they made a provision where churches could apply for loans and blah, blah, blah. That's neither here nor there. Really what it all comes down to is every measure that's been taken so far is really, from where I sit, it looks like prolonging the inevitable. That at some point, the church is going to have to come up with a fundamentally different plan other than, oh, we'll just wait for things to pick up again, because I don't think they are. Um, so, so when, when we do a survey like that Barna survey and say, well, how many of you are headed back to church? Oh, wow. That's a large number of people who don't intend to go back to church. That's only part of the puzzle. The other part is all the people who want to, but can't, or would be willing to support from home, but can't. I love that because, because even the, 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 the UK stuff that came out last year around us was basically going, when we take a look at the church numbers today compared to the next generation and the fact that they're not coming back and they, they don't want to do church, when the current generation dies off, you, you're looking at a dramatic drop in terms of the numbers. So, so forget the church le leaders. This, this machinery of the church is not, being, um, is not being sacrificed enough flesh blood, right? <laughs> There's just not, just, just not enough people coming in to keep the, 
to keep the machinery going. And I, I really do feel that we are at this unprecedented point in history where, where, you know, for at least the last 20 years, people have been talking deconstruction and other people have been going, but why are you talking deconstruction? The church has never been better. Worship has never been as good. Finances have never been as good. We've never seen churches as big, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And we can just do it online. We're still going to have this membership and just do it online, you know. Um, and 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 I think I'm with you. It's it's the there is this there is this change, and the, the change basically um, has got many different tangents. And and this current crisis is is perhaps just the thing that exacerbates it and drives it over the edge a little bit quicker. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's accelerated things that were already happening and have been happening for some time, but I don't know how many years we just leapt forward in just a matter of months. And I don't think we're going to know um, until there's a little bit more fallout. But I think it's I think a lot of people are going to be very, very surprised because they're they're thinking in terms of when can I go back to church? Not even asking the question, is my institutional church still going to be there when I want to return? And if it's not, what does that mean? Does that mean you go find another or does that mean, hey, maybe it's time to rethink this whole thing? Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's the question I would love to uh, leave people on. Is the question of going, you know, isn't it time to rethink this whole th- this whole thing? And in rethinking it, what what questions can I ask, and what questions do I have permission to ask? And if you if you were going to to leave, you know, a short list of maybe 350 questions to ask. Could you do that quickly? And failing that, (laughs) what would be the top of your list? (laughs) (laughs) Like questions to ask if I were deconstructing or... um... If, if, if If you were still pastoring in a church and you hadn't started asking questions a year ago and you were in the here and now and you faced with losing that 50% of your membership and you know you're not going to be open, but you still feel the strong sense of calling to going, this is still what I'm called to. What what do you think would be good questions to ask for that person that that would allow them the permission to not just transition to going, well, let me just live stream at a Zoom church meetings or, you know, uh, I'll package some some worship sessions and then push play on a Sunday morning and people can just dial in from wherever they are. Because I, I really don't think that that's what Jesus is getting at when he's going, I'm going to build my church, right, guys? Let's put it on a bunch of DVDs or videos or YouTube. And people can consume it at their leisure. I don't, that's definitely not what he was talking about. But in many ways, the institutional church model lends itself to that transition. And it lends itself pretty well to that transition, which I think is why we, we, we are seeing a rise in people doing church that way. But, but as with all things, there's going to be that handful of organizations and businesses that successfully do church that way. And there's going to be thousands of these small communities that don't. And that even if people start doing that stuff online, they're going to go, I'm starving to death for the reality of something life-giving in terms of community. What do I do? And so, and so for the for the for the poor person that is in that 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 has basically got that small community church of the twenty or the forty or the sixty people that is going to be down to the you know not being able to keep the doors open after this, but still very much has that calling. What what questions do you think could help them start their road to deconstruction? Yeah, you know, helpfully. 
I tell you one question, if I could get, if I could get everyone in the institutional church, especially the church leaders, especially the, the pastors and, and elders and other church leaders, to really seriously entertain this, I think it would be very interesting if we had a way to collect those answers, you know, and read them on air. And that is this. I would ask them to just entertain the idea that maybe, maybe what God is doing is allowing his people to reclaim their identity as, let's just say, the ecclesia for convenience sake. And what I mean is literally kind of relocating the, the, the locus of authority and identity from the institution to the people whether they're gathering in homes or whatever, and say, okay, let's say I'm the, this institutional construct that we have, we're going to abdicate our identity as the ecclesia, but we still have all these resources. We have a building, we have supplies, we have staff members that have certain areas of gifting and expertise and experience. How could we repurpose all of this instead of just burning it to the ground and saying, well, this is obsolete now. How could we repurpose all of this to come alongside this move that God is doing? And again, I know some people are not decided on that. I'm just asking them to, um, for the moment, kind of suspend disbelief that it isn't the Lord and just entertain the idea, if this were him. If this is God actually kind of waking up the bride of Christ and calling her out of the building, rather than just like writing all of that off as, you know, like, well, you know, that, that, that was a waste, how could you redeem it, you know, and, and repurpose it and retool it around whatever this next thing is that he's doing? I have a lot of specific thoughts on that. That's what most of my notes have been about lately. Um, but I don't feel like it's going to be up to one person to have all the answers. So I would love to hear what other people are thinking along those lines. I, I'm I'm aware that I have to. We have taken up a lot of your uh, a lot of your time. <laughs> uh, my incredibly valuable time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, I, I feel like in some ways we could definitely just, uh, you know, I'd love to keep talking and would love to connect more. Yeah, absolutely. I've enjoyed this. Yeah. And, and in between, there's, there's a lot of stuff that is out there that, and some of it that you've, you've, you've put out there. If listeners want to pick up on some of your thoughts and ideas and that, where's the best place to, to, to find them? So I know that you, you have a book and you have a blog. Oh, no, here's the best part. All of it's free. Everything I've just mentioned, um, because I did a free audiobook version of the book. Not to say if they want to pick up a printed copy or a Kindle copy, I <laughs> won't say, hey, thanks. Uh, but that. But out of all the things I've mentioned, that's literally the only one I've ever monetized, and that was more out of necessity than anything. So the um, the book is available as an audiobook and for free. Audiobook, they can listen the, online. Just, just the title again, quickly. Oh, Unchurching Christianity Without Churchianity. The only thing your listeners need to remember is just unchurching.com. 
because literally links to everything are right there. They can find links to our Facebook community. They can find links to the book, the videos, the podcast, the comic book, the TED Talk, everything. Richard, thank you so much. I have really enjoyed this conversation. appreciate your vulnerability and your insights and everything that you've been willing to share with us. I just wanted to add a personal word of thanks. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. No, I, I, the honor's all mine, guys. This has been so much fun. Great way to start my day. <laughs>